Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. To a certain extent, it doesn't matter what you're doing or what, what your attributes are. It's what your customers perceive them to be, or it's what they remember them to be. It's surprising how people don't think about what they're doing and then go, why did I do that then? What was it that made me take this action, made me buy this? What was it that attracted me to this? At a deeper level than just price. It's really surprising how many organisations still don't know which of their products or services or what changes to the products or services or to the experience will actually drive value. So Ryan, I'm getting old, okay? I'm sorry, is this where I step in and assure you that you're not? (laughs) I have to say the delay between me saying that and you jumping in was too long. Well, they say that time perception is one of the first things to go as you get older. I didn't delay at all. (laughs) No, you're not getting older. But let's, for the sake of your story, let's assume that you are. Correct. And I guess the only reason I tell you that is because I don't know if it's age, but just life becomes a lot clearer as you go on. Yeah. And you just get to the point where you go, I'm just going to tell you what I think. I don't really mind (laughs) if you disagree with me. Self-preservation instinct is, in fact, the first to go as we get older. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm excited to hear your unfiltered wisdom. (laughs) Thank you very much. So today we're going to talk about seven mistakes organizations make when trying to deal with growth, okay? And when I say growth, I'm talking about growth in revenue or growth in market share. And these are things that I've I've literally said to our clients. One of the things I enjoy most about our job is we get to say that your baby's ugly. We don't have all of the sort of the hang-ups of all the politics and everything else. As I always tell the team, they're paying us for an opinion. Uh, And sometimes the opinion is not good. (laughs) (laughs) But always helpful, we hope. Yeah. And I just blame it on my age. That's where it all comes back to. There you go. We need to get somebody in here who knew you when you were younger so they can assure us that you, in fact, have always been a jerk. (laughs) Well, yeah, I've I've always been opinionated. Okay, there you that go. Way. That was a but, better word. For <laughs> so, uh, seven things. I'm excited to hear them. Okay, so the first thing is, so again, let's take this into context. We're talking about growth. We're talking about thinking about growing our revenues. Everyone's got targets to hit every year. The targets go up. So, the first mistake I see organisations making is they don't look at the whole marketplace, and they don't look for those sort of hidden unmet needs. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. One case that I teach in MBA school is in the early 1980s when Levi's 
decided to introduce a high-end men's suit on the market and it failed miserably. And one of the takeaways from the case is Levi's was so focused on identifying a new source of men's clothing, they didn't realize that there was this huge untapped market of women's jeans. And they just, they missed it because they were they were hyper-focused. They had these blinders on. I assume that's kind of what you're, you're talking about there. We, we don't take a step back. Yeah, it's interesting because when we go into clients and we do research with clients, typically they start off by wanting to do research with their existing customers. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. You can clearly gain growth by improving the experience and selling new product services to existing customers. But then our challenge is, what about customers who have left you? And moreover, if you've got 20% of the market, which would be quite good, if they've got 20% of the market, then there's 80% of the people out there that they haven't serviced. And then you get into even the whole conversation as you were just articulating about adjacent markets and thinking outside the square of what actually is their market and all those things. So I think the first part is just too much of a focus, I guess I could put it this way, too much of a focus on their customers, sometimes the customers that have left them, but not looking at the market. Second part of it is these hidden unmet needs are things that people don't look at. And we'll talk a bit more about those in another one of my seven things. Do you have an intuition or an opinion as to why this is a problem for people? Is it a matter of like wanting to stay in their comfort zones? Is it kind of a a blind spot issue, kind of a failure of creativity? Like, what do you attribute this to? I think it's attributed to what's in front of people. And again, what's easy to do. And again, I'm getting old. You just realize that what people want are simple solutions. And what people want is the golden bullet. Here's the one thing that you have to do to improve things. And as we've said on this podcast many times, there's never one thing. In fact, I should make that number eight on my list of seven things. So I've obviously had to prioritize that one out. Yeah, I feel like you've already committed to seven, Colin. We got places to be. <laughs> All right, seven <laughs> B. How about that? Loophole. Very nice. Oh my God. <laughs> the second one is, and we've talked about this in the past, the second one is people who say, I know what our customers want. And they think they know what customers want because they're in the marketplace. If they're a utility, well, I use our water, I use our electricity, I know what it's like. Yeah, you know, I've had a power cut and they think that they know exactly what customers want and therefore they don't do research. That I think is a big failing because as we've said, I think in the past, clearly by definition, you're already influenced because you know the, the products and services that your company is supplying. You can't unknow what you already know. Along with your number one, the roots of this might be sometimes okay. Like for your number one, the idea that you can get more sales from your current customers, you know, that's that's not a bad, that's not a bad place to start looking. At the same time, it can lead to this blind spot of failing to look elsewhere. There's a lot of wisdom in organizations and, and people do in fact know their customers. But again, it can lead to these blind spots of now resisting other information or resisting getting other information. Your wisdom might be outdated. It might be that you you do know what's going on with your customers, but your customers have been leaving you and you only know about the wants and needs of the ones that have been staying, or maybe the marketplace is changing. 
No, absolutely. Absolutely. And saying that, we just had a client contact us over in California who said that they're they're losing 25% of their customers. Can you imagine that? Whoa. 25% of their customers. They're not going to be around for much longer if they don't do something, are they? Uh, but there you go. Third one. Okay. Limiting the thinking to just the rational aspects of things. Now, I guess I'm preaching to the converted on this podcast because we often, we always talk about the emotional side, the behavioral economic, subconscious, psychological aspects. So hopefully people are listening to this because they recognize that there isn't, or there's much more than just rationally buying things. But it's surprising still how many organizations still just focus on the rational things. And when I say rational things, I'm talking about things like the price or the delivery or the variety of products that they have or the distribution, those sort of traditional business things that have have kept people going for years. Yeah. I I mean, one way of thinking about this, there's a lot of wisdom in that, that one little item that you mentioned, looking beyond just the rational aspects. If people are having trouble wrapping their head around this, one way of making this more digestible is to a certain extent, it doesn't matter what you're doing or what what your attributes are. It's what your customers perceive them to be or it's what they remember them to be. Yeah. And there are all kinds of things that can bias those perceptions and those memories. So maybe start there if this is too big of a topic for you, like if you're of the mind that that you, you think, well, if people aren't doing things rationally, then what can we possibly do about it? Just try to look at your own perspective from as a customer of other companies. What are the things that bias your judgment in favor or against anything in particular? So I'm now going to move on and talk about 7C. <laughs> okay. I'm losing some patience with your loopholing here. <laughs> <laughs> so by the end of this, we'll be up to the top 10 things, <laughs> 10 mistakes that customers make. And I actually, I think this is, so building on what you were just saying, I think there's a large part of it that not a lot of people have the ability to understand why they are doing things. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's the classic line of people buy emotionally and then justify with logic. It's surprising how people don't think about what they're doing and then go, why did I do that then? What was it that made me take this action, made me buy this? What was it that attracted me? to this at a deeper level than just price because i wish i had a dollar for every time somebody told me that their customers just bought on on price and these are senior intelligent people and clearly whilst that may be the case in some cases there's a hell of a lot more that's going on subconsciously and psychologically that's affecting people's decision making than just saving ten dollars okay number four I'm getting concerned with my, my numbering <laughs> sequence, but never mind. Uh, you have no one to blame but yourself. It started off so simple. <laughs> Is this 4A or 4B? I can't remember. So number four, looking at the world through the product and services lens. I'm just even thinking about a client I was talking to the other day. This was a business-to-business client. And again, if you think about organizational structures, they were going, well, we have product A, we have product B, we have product C, and those are all in separate organizations. And it's just, it's actually quite surprising having 
been in the customer experience and customer growth game now for 18 years running beyond philosophy it's just surprising how much things haven't changed in the sense and particularly when you start looking at sort of organizational structures and we've talked about this in the past but the segmentation within organizations is not as good as it should be and people still tend to segment by product or service within an organization so being forced to look through the product and services lens does that make sense yeah can i rephrase that one or see if i can try is this 4d or 4e (laughs) same four just expressed differently i think and and correct me if i'm wrong here i think that that another way of, of stating this is your customers don't care about your organization or the way that you've organized in other words customers see you as a single organization and so they expect things like a consistent experience they expect things to operate seamlessly on the back end and so if your organization is somehow inhibiting that if the organization of the the company is somehow making that harder or less likely to happen that's just bad and you should fix that why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com contact. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I, th- I think it goes a bit deeper than that, to be honest, mate. I think it goes down and gets embedded in the culture of the organization. And if we go back to what we previously said about the way that then organizations look at a customer, so your Levi's example, it narrows your focus too much. And culturally, it narrows your focus too much. Whereas if you were to start looking at different customer groups and different personas, And when I say different customer groups, don't sit there and think to yourself, well, we do that because we have large customers, medium customers, and small customers. And I'm not talking about their heights. I mean, that's a customer grouping of such. But it's not looking at uh, what the customer's behavior is, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the danger is, is, again, it just, for me, it's about the mindset. The biggest thing I've learned in the last 18 years has been, This is all about a mindset. When you're looking for customer growth, you've got to understand your customers in a greater way. And therefore, that's not about looking at things with a product or services lens because that narrows your focus too much. I I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Again, when I teach about targeting and positioning, I emphasize to my students that sometimes they will be in the position where they have to market something that already exists. So they'll be in an organization where the finished product just arrives on their doorstep and they say, okay, we'll get this, push this out to customers. But I emphasize just how much better things can be if the customer is the focus and early on in the development of a product or service, somebody's saying, all right, well, who's our target customer and can we create every aspect of this thing to meet the needs of this specific group of people? Focusing on the customer instead of focusing on the product or the service. Great, good. So before I move on to five, six, and seven, I just want to to tell people that 
we've now started to do a a written podcast summary. One of our listeners had a great idea, which was they were saying that they were driving to, to work, listening to the podcast, and by definition, they're driving, so they can't actually make any notes. So we've decided that what we're going to do after each podcast is that we are going to put up a podcast summary, which basically is going to be the key takeaways three to five takeaways in this case it may be the seven things that we're talking about here, <laughs> but there may be eight or nine so the key takeaways we're also going to put in there the recommended action and if you want to download those you simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary that's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary and you'll see all of the podcast summaries that you'll be able to download and then share them with your colleagues etc etc so I just wanted to let people know that that was coming along. You know what that means, Colin. All the high school students who have tests on our podcast are going to start just reading the Cliff's Notes versions instead of listening to the podcast like they should. Oh, there you go. They don't have to listen to us for half an hour. That's got to be a bonus, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I feel like this is us being customer-centric. You can get the wisdom without putting up with Colin and I prattling on about nonsense. Absolutely. And it will force me into getting my numbering sequence right as well, which is even, it's got to be another advantage. Okay, number five, mistakes when people are trying to gain growth, not considering the emotional aspects of an experience. So I guess we sort of talked a bit about this under this sort of rational things, but for me, that it's just such a big opportunity that people miss. And again, still 18 years later, whilst people are starting to talk much more now about customer emotions, they tend to talk about it in generic terms, in terms of positive emotions, negative emotions. In my view, you've got to be talking about specific emotions, but you've also, again, got to have that sort of cultural awareness. And it should be something that people are talking about every day of the week in their organization, it should be something you're measuring. And if you're not, then you're missing out on a big motivating factor for gaining growth. Number six, and this is sort of the big one that we've talked about in the past, but not identifying subconscious unmet needs. So our regular listeners will know of the example I'd like to use here, which is so Disney know when they ask their guests to Disney theme park what they would like to eat at a theme park. Disney know that people say they'd like to have an option of a salad. Disney also know that people don't eat salads when they go to theme parks. They eat the hot dogs and hamburgers. So the irony of all of this is if you're truly gaining growth, you've not just got to listen to the first thing that your customer articulates is the thing that will provide you with growth, what their hidden unmet needs are. But you've got to delve behind it. And you've got to realize that some of those things, going back to the previous one that we've just talked about, will be emotional things. So we did some work in construction equipment manufacturers and actually, it wasn't about the trading price of the equipment. It wasn't about the maintenance packages that they had. The key driver was, did the organization or did the people care for them as a person? So the hidden unmet need was caring for them as a person. Now, how that then manifests itself, you've then got to think through how you actually go about doing that, etc. 
it's not just taking the the first thing that customers say. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. There's often a lot of talk about organizations that are, are kind of ahead of the customer or that are leading the customer, companies that come out with solutions that no customer was asking for. And so did they create this market? And a lot of that looks like magic from the outside. I suspect, though, that most of these examples are just companies that have identified these unarticulated hidden needs, things that customers couldn't have told you themselves directly because they weren't consciously aware of it, but were instead very, very sensitive to these observable pain points or looking at the way customers were acting and and then deducing or, or doing good research and finding out what are the underlying subconscious or emotional states that are are driving those behaviors and can we make them better yeah no absolutely so i'm glad you've given me an opportunity to talk about apple <laughs> i deliberately did not um, <laughs> you need to meet my hand met emotional need of not talking about apple <laughs> so building on what you're just saying if you think about it you know there are some rare people like the steve jobs of this world who intuitively know what the customer wants. And I mean, again, if you just think of the iPhone, I mean, if you think about it at the time, the markets were saturated with mobile phones. Nobody knew that they needed an iPhone. And yet he comes up with the iPhone and the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, no, clearly I was thinking of of Steve Jobs when I was talking about that. I tactfully didn't mention Apple myself, but you did. Apple was not the first smartphone on the market. The iPhone was not. A couple of other manufacturers had had tried and, and kind of failed. There was Blackberries, which were kind of close. But a lot of the the innovation that came with the first edition iPhone, I would characterize as having met a lot of these unmet, unarticulated needs. I, I can remember one of the big features that we now kind of just forget and take it uh, for granted was the fact that you could scroll through voicemails and kind of play them out of order and replay them at a touch and before that, you had to use this complicated number tree on your cell phone. That was an unmet need that people weren't articulating, didn't realize was a problem. And it was a design feature that that really boosted the benefits of that. Absolutely. So for me, you've got these geniuses that can see these things. And for the rest of us mere mortals, you need to do research. Yeah, no, of course. I, I suspect that there was research involved also in Apple. But yes, to your point. You can make up for a lot of not non-genius with some good research. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for us, again, it's going under the skin. It's looking at the subconscious side of things. And again, for regular listeners and our clients that listen, will know that we do a piece of research we call an emotional signature, which does exactly that, which gets under the skin of the difference between what customers say that they want and what drives value. And that leads me on to the last one, which is... So bear in mind here, we're talking about gaining growth. It's really surprising how many organizations still don't know which of their products or services or what changes to the products or services or to the experience will actually drive value. And there is still not enough conversation in an organization, in my experience, about what drives value. And again, when I say value, I'm talking about what a customer was, what will they buy, how much they will buy, revenue, spend, market share, improvements in customer satisfaction, net promoter, those things. If you're looking to gain growth, then clearly the question is, well, where? 
and by how much because that will give you an insight to where to invest your dollar, et cetera, et cetera. So you've really got to look at the emotional side. You've really got to look at the subconscious. And you've really then got to look at what drives value. Yeah, I, I like it. And I agree. It's often that we don't articulate how we're going to get to our goal. So it's just, we got to grow. And then you just start throwing stuff at the wall rather than figuring out, all right, well, if, if growth is our goal, what drives growth? What's the path? What's the factor? As opposed to just yelling more at your employees or throwing money in advertising. You know, figure out the path. Figure out what it is. Good. So I hope that that's been of use to people. Let's do our usual bit of, so what, what does this mean that you should do? You've got a good list of seven things here to start with. Maybe Colin has a preferred order to look in, but from my perspective, I would say, look for the biggest holes in what you're currently doing. If there's a kind of a strategic lack between your goal and getting there, start there. If, if on the other hand, you don't know what your customers really want or what they they want at an unconscious level. Pick whichever one of these you think you can work on the fastest, the easiest, and that will get you the most bang for your buck. But there's a good list of seven here for you to work your way through if you're if you're looking for growth. For me, it would be there's sort of two tracks here, okay? If we walked into an organization tomorrow and they said, we need to gain growth, how do we go about this? The first thing I would do would be the research. And I would be doing it across the market. So I wouldn't just be doing it with your existing customers and, and, and previous customers. I would be doing it across the market. I would even be looking at other markets. But I would be doing research that isn't just focused on rational things, but includes the emotional, subconscious, and what drives value. The second part then for me is the research one thing, because when you get the research back, that's going to tell you the the answers to what are some of the unmet needs. But let's use the example of it may be cared for as a person that the customer wants. It could be a, a product feature, okay, which is easier for people to get their brains around. But it could be, well, we need to, the hidden aspect, hidden unmet need is caring for them as a person. Clearly, the question then becomes, well, how do you do that? This comes to the sort of second track you've got to get the organization to start to think in a different way. So this goes back to my comment about mindset. This goes back to my comment about people looking through through things too much with a product and service lens. There's got to be sort of an educational aspect to these. Now, the results can be a catalyst for that. Yeah? That starts that education, but you've then got to start to get people to realize, well, what does it mean? What does it mean if caring for them as a person? How do we do that? How do we measure that? How do we start to change the measurements we've got and so on and so forth? So I think if people look at it from that aspect and, and, and did it in that sequence, then that would help. So I hope that's been of use. Don't forget, if you want to download the podcast summary and then just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. We look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.
This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.